So tonight we're going to be in uh, John chapter 16. I'm thinking that this should uh, finish us up with John chapter 16 this week. Uh, So we'll be at verses 16 through 33. Um, So kind of the plan will be we'll read through the text, um, verses 16 through 33. And then I've got a few sections within that that I really want to try to, uh, by God's grace and by by the will of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit drill into a couple of few places um, text in the text for tonight. Um, and hopefully by the time it's all said and done, um, praise God, he'll have put it all together and it'll make sense. Amen. Praise God. All right. So let's go ahead and read the text. Um, and then we'll just, we'll get 10 toes deep. All right. So it says, Jesus says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me. And because I'm going to the father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen. All right, so just a little background. Um, So we know that, so this is John 16. So starting at John chapter 13, we've just kind of been working our way through. And so John 13, we started, this is still Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. They're celebrating the Passover feast. um, And he's probably about 15 hours away from being ready to, about ready to go to the cross and die, okay. And so it's it's all through um, 14, 15, and 16 that Jesus has been given 
giving his disciples instruction on what they'll need to be able to endure and persevere through him going to the cross. Because as much, even as much as they've been with him over the past three years, he knows they don't get it. And so when they see him die on that cross, they'll be like, and it'll be all over the place. So he's trying to let them know in advance, like, hey, this is going to be coming. And here's everything that I'm doing for you and going to do for you to enable you to be able to endure, persevere. And even as he said here, he's like, you guess what? He's like, there's going to come a point coming forward very, very soon. You will scatter. You're going to see what's going to happen to me and you're going to dip. And I will physically be alone, but I won't be alone because my father is with me always. Amen. But he's encouraging the disciples. He's telling them this now because we saw last week, he said, it's for your benefit that I go away. Because if I go away, I send you the Holy Spirit. I send you the helper and he will be your helper as we move forward. So we went through that last week. And then even this week, notice that he said that, when, that I'm going to go, I'm going to be gone for a little while. Then you'll see me after a little while. And he says, then, and then I will give you, you'll rejoice and you will have joy in the fall. And no one will be able to take that joy from you. And I'm just adding this in there. No one will be able to take the joy from you because nobody gave that joy to you. It's going to be a joy that God gives through the power of his Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. And if you have that, God is eternal. So if that joy is from an eternal source, then, then a temporary source of another person or a circumstance or anything can't take that joy from you. Amen. And then with that, he even gives us the promise. And I loved it where it said that you're going to be able to ask the Father in my name. And guess what? When you ask the Father in prayer in my name, you won't even, I won't even need to go to the Father on your behalf and act as a, as a go-between because the Father is going to love you. Because you have loved me and the Father loves me and you're in me. I won't need to ask the Father on your behalf. You'll be able to go to the Father directly yourself because he loves you. Amen. And then it all summed up with, he summed it all up with, in this world you will have tribulation. That's a promise. And if you've been living long enough, you know, yup, that's, that's real deal Holyfield, right? In this world you will have tribulation. But he says, take heart, take courage. Because I have overcome the world and in me, you may have peace. So praise God. He's the one that gives us that peace that's beyond all understanding that makes no sense. Because even in the midst of the tribulation and even in the midst of the turmoil, we can have peace that this world will never understand because we have Jesus. Amen. So, so that's kind of the, that's kind of the, um, highlight there. I just gave y'all kind of the highlight of everything that we just read. And then that's kind of what we just, what I just kind of bing, 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 hit with those little four pieces is kind of what I want to try to dive into for tonight and really get a, really get a focus on that. So, so to start with, I want to drill into where Jesus says, he says, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant saying a little while, you will not see me again. A little while you will see me. Truly, truly, I said, 
say to you, you will weep, lament, the world will rejoice, you will be sorrow, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So I want to drill, I want to drill into that piece right there and get to the heart of why we can have joy that nobody will be able to take from us. Amen. And so it starts with the, it's going to kind of start with the metaphor that he just gave us, that analogy that he just gave us of that, man, you know what, when a, when a woman is giving, is in, is in labor, when she's pregnant, that jamski is painful. It, it hurts. I'm not a woman. I have not experienced that. Miss Amy is smiling at me with her baby in her, in her arms right now saying, yes, indeed, that jamski was tough, right? It was painful. But now that you have him, that pain is, is a memory, isn't it? And so, and even though, even though it was tough to go through, you would do it again to have him with you. Praise God. And so, and so what I want to do is, is I want to kick over to Ephesians chapter 2 because it gives us a, a beautiful summary of what Jesus tells us in John chapter 3. Because in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, one of the Pharisees had come to Jesus and it's like, oh, what, can I, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to enter into the kingdom of God? And so, and so in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so we see right here that Jesus is using this language of being born again. And so that and so and so when I saw Jesus use the analogy of like, hey, a, a woman that goes into, into, into childbirth and having those labor pains, the pain and the, that you've got to suffer and endure through that. But on the other side, when you have the child, it's nothing but joy. And so I'm thinking of that and, and, and thinking of Jesus that praise God. And we went through this in depth last week. So I'm just going to kind of bing, 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 hit it real quick. We know that Jesus, even with him telling his disciples that I'm going to be going away for a little while and then I'll be back, bop, bop, bop. We know that that's Jesus who is God the Son, we've gone over that, the Trinity, he's God the Son who was in heaven, left heaven, took on human flesh, became a man, lived a sinless, perfect life before the Father, was completely obedient to the Father. Jesus was nailed to the cross, not because of any crime that he committed. He was nailed to the cross because of who he was. And he says, I am the son of God. So they, they hung him on the cross. They nailed him to the cross because of who he said he was, not because of any crime that he committed. And so we've gone through that when Jesus was nailed to the cross with his sinless, perfect life, we know that Jesus is the great high priest. And so by him being nailed to the cross, that was Jesus in essence offering himself as the great high priest 
things before God saying, God, I know that there's the penalty of sin. There's the wrath of God because of sin over your children. And, and, I, and so there has to be a sacrifice that is blameless, that is without blemish, that is absolutely perfect, that can appease the wrath of God, that can propitiate. I'm using big words, my $4 silver dollar words, praise God. That can propitiate, can appease, can, can do away with the wrath of God. And so Jesus' sinless, perfect life, that's why he said, behold, John the Baptist says, behold, there is the Lamb of God. Because Jesus is that Lamb of God when he was nailed to the cross, is the sinless, perfect sacrifice before the Father. And it's, we said that he was buried and he was buried in the tomb for three days, praise God. And on the third day he rose from the dead. And y'all know, y'all know my favorite sign, all of our sin, all of the wrath of God, all of the hell, all of the punishment that we deserve went with Jesus in that tomb. And so praise God, Jesus rose on the third day. And because Jesus is alive and he's risen from the dead, all of our punishment and hell and sin and wrath that we deserve is still in that grave. But Jesus isn't there. So praise God, he's ascended to the right hand of the Father so that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right? Amen. So that's, so that's the gospel. That's a gospel in a, nut, in the, in a nutshell. But, but notice what he's saying there. And I'm tying this in. I hope you kind of see where I'm going with being born again. Because notice what Jesus said. He says, man, the, a woman and child having a child in, in labor, have, being pregnant is painful. Jesus is 10 to 15 hours away from going to the cross. That is not easy. He's, think about what Jesus is doing in the, in the calmness of mind he had. Praise God. If I have a tough meeting that I'm going to talk to somebody about some stuff that not even is life or death, but it's just something that I'm worried about how they're going to receive it. I'm worried about that junk. I'm praying and I'm all, I'm sweating and I'm like, you know, you know you've had those talks, right? Where it's like, you know, something is coming that you got to do that you really don't want to have to do. It's not even life or death. And you're just like tore up in knots and rah, rah. Jesus is about ready to go to the cross. And he's trying to encourage his disciples, <laughs> right? And so, and praise God, we know from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, what does it say? It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So praise God that Jesus loves the Father and is completely obedient to the Father first and foremost. But praise God that he loves us enough that for the, for the joy set before him. Jesus says, you know what? In and of myself, I don't want to go to the cross. In my flesh, I don't want to go to the cross because that's painful. But I know that that's going to be like a woman that's pregnant. And so she's going to go, has to go through that pain. So I have to go through the pain of that cross. But I have joy even in the midst of having to endure that pain because I know on the other side of that, God is going to be glorified. I'm going to have the name that is above all names. And I'm going to have a multitude of brothers and sisters that are going to be born again because of the death and resurrection that, I just, that I'm going to do. See, see the metaphor going on there? All right, so, so, so this brings us to Ephesians chapter 2, because Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, I believe gives us a really, really, really good summary of what being born again looks like um, 
as, as Paul would explain it and as the epistles kind of break it out for us, it's awesome that Jesus can tell us stuff and Jesus can say in two verses what it takes the apostles like five chapters to like expound on and break down what it actually means, what, what those two verses really meant, right? So, and of course my thing just went into sleep mode, praise God. See, that's what happens when you talk too long, Miss Crystal, your computer goes into sleep mode, praise God. All right, so... Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to just start at verse 1. This is Paul explaining the human condition. This is B.C. So this is before Christ. This is the human condition according to Paul, which is a, an inspired gospel writer, writer of scripture. Amen. Chosen by God. So starting at verse 1, Ephesians 2, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So when, so when Paul starts off that whole topic right there with you were dead in the trespasses and your trespasses and sins, we know that he's not saying that you were physically dead. So in essence, he, he goes on and to, and to explain to us what he's getting at when he talks about being dead in our trespasses. And I'm just going to, and I've got my couple little bullet points. If you've got the sheet, you can just kind of follow along there. But what he's getting at is, is we're not physically dead, but we're dead spiritually before God. Okay. And so what does it mean to be dead spiritually? It's walk in trespasses and sins. So when the Bible uses this term to walk in, what it's referring to is, is a pattern of life. So it's not that, oh, I sinned and oh, now I've done repented and I'm good. To walk in sins and trespasses means I am on this course of sin and trespassing and I am dead set on keeping this course and you are not going to change my course. This is my pattern of life and how I live, okay? And so... So to be dead before God is you are walking. Your pattern of life is that you walk in trespasses and sins. Followed after the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, we lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. By nature, we're children of wrath. I hope you caught that. It says by nature, you are children of wrath. So what Paul is saying is, it's not that we're good people, because this goes against culture. This goes against a popular American philosophy, right? What Paul is saying is that you, we are not good people who sometimes do bad things. He said we were born in sin. We were born with a sinful nature. And because we have a sinful nature, we can't help but do anything but sin. Because remember, we've talked about that. We saw that in Matthew chapter 7, right, where Jesus said, we basically, remember we say a bad root is always going to produce bad fruit, right? And a good root is always going to produce good fruit. So if you're not in Christ, Paul is basically saying you have a bad root. You are a child of wrath. You are a son of disobedience. You are characterized by disobedience. And so... 
And it's like, man, so, so we're not good people who sometimes do bad things. We are sinful people who sometimes get it right by doing good things. And here's, and here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is why later on in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9, which is verses 8 and 9, why it says that, hey, if you're saved, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Why is it not based on our works? Because in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it says, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And so, and so we went over this a little bit last week. Notice that we said that, yeah, sometimes we can do good things, but if we have a bad motive behind why we're doing that good thing before God, he still looks at it as unacceptable. And so most of the time, if I'm before I was in Christ, when I did something good, I did something good not because I had any concern whether or not it pleased God or not, but because it made me feel good. Or I had some ulterior motive that I was trying to, well, if I scratch your back, you scratch my back. There was something, there, there was no concern with God in it. And that's what I, and so I'm, I'm trying to drill into this a little bit because if you're here tonight and if you're not in Christ, don't get caught up in the, in the, in the, in the, and the thinking of that, hey, I'm a good person. I'm a pretty good person. I'm definitely doing way better than that person. And so I'm good enough. I'm good enough that I can, that God will let me in on that day. And according to the text, eh, you'll never be good enough because by nature, you have a sin nature. So any, any good that you do is because God, you're created in the image of God. And so because you've been created in the image of God, we're still capable of doing good. But it's not because we're, it's not because we're worried about God and who he is. In essence, in essence we're, we're doing our good works because it makes us feel good. And in essence, we come to God and then say, hey, God, I want you to be pleased with my good works even though I've given no thought to who you are, what you like, and whether or not you thought that this work would be good or not, right? And so when it says in Isaiah, I brought this out because it says that our good works that are outside of Christ, it says that will never be good enough to get us to God because it says in Isaiah 64, 6, that God looks at that and says that, that our righteous deeds, our righteous works that we do to try to make ourselves right with God is like a polluted garment, okay? So I did, I did my definition homework. I looked at my NET Bible, okay? I looked at my, my Hebrew dictionary. When it's talking about a polluted garment right there, or maybe if you have King James, it says your righteousness is as filthy rags before God, right? All right, I'm trying to PG this. I'm trying to PG this, all right, Brother John? The Bible is literally saying that before God, our righteousness in and of ourselves that we would try to do to make ourselves right with God, God sees that and says that's like a, a garment for, for a woman's menstrual cycle. That's how, that's how when I see your, your, your righteousness and you, what you do to try to get right with me, it's nasty. <laughs> 
That's how I see it. Whoa. If that's how God looks at my effort to try to get right with him, what chance do I have? What hope do I have? That's why he says you are dead in your sins and your trespasses. So that's the bad news. But notice that we see that Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again, right? And so praise God for there to be bad news. Gospel in and of itself means good news. He's proclaiming good news. So praise God, I wanted to give you the bad news because that makes the good news really, really great once we understand what it's really getting at. And so if we're dead, right, if we're dead before God, praise God. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27. Because notice that Jesus said, hey, you must be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of God. He said, those that are, those that I, that are born of, of spirit and of water, of water and of spirit, those are the ones, right, that will be born again, will be able to enter the kingdom of God. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27. God promises, God promises, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Praise God. And so, and so if God does that work in us, then that leads to, listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So here's so here in essence is what is what Jesus is saying and this is what Paul is saying and I like how he breaks that down is he says is in essence what he's saying is, okay, you were by nature a child of wrath. You are a son of disobedience. The whole pattern of your life is sin and trespasses. You are dead spiritually before God. You are not alive with God. And so praise God, he's saying that because of Jesus and his death, burial, resurrection, he's ascended. Remember last week we said that part of the promise of him going away is he's going to send us the spirit. The job of the spirit is he's going to convict of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. So the Holy Spirit goes to work because of the work of Jesus in our lives to draw us to himself and praise God, we, as the Spirit works in us and does what? It says that he'll cleanse us. He'll cleanse us from those idols. He'll cleanse us from our sin. He'll put a new spirit within us. He'll put a new heart within us. That, that, then he'll cause us to want to obey him. And so in essence, what he's saying is, is that as the Holy Spirit works in us, praise God, we, we turn to Jesus. We hear the word preached. 
we recognize how utterly sinful our sin really is, we recognize that we are in desperate need of a Savior, we then turn to Jesus and trust our lives to Jesus, praise God, and the work of the Holy Spirit is, is that he, is he transforms us from the inside out so that we're no longer to, by nature, children of wrath, we become, we, be, we, we have partake of a new nature that God gives us by his spirit and that we no longer want to sin. Now we want to be holy. We no longer don't care about God. We want to be in God's word. We don't, we no longer just tolerate people. We actually love people. We, right? And so, and so the whole point of that, so that's what Jesus is getting at when he's talking about being born again. And so when Jesus, we're just going back to John chapter 16, and he says, it's like the woman, you know what, I'm about ready to go to the cross. It's going to be miserable going to that cross. There's going to, like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experiences that, that kind of torment on our behalf, but because he knows that by him doing that, he's going to bring many sons and daughters to the Father by them being born again. And it's not just that they'll have a new name, praise God, they'll have a new nature. So he doesn't just save us from the penalty of sin, he saves us from the power of sin. He doesn't just, he doesn't just say not guilty, praise God. That's why I wanted to point out saying a children of wrath, praise God. That's why we're talking about being a sons of disobedience. Well, in Ephesians chapter one, verse five, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, it says, check this out. It says, in love, he, Jesus, God the Father, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So praise God, if you are in Jesus, if you are in Christ, God the Father has adopted you. So you are born again in the sense of the devil ain't your daddy. <laughs> You're not, you're not a slave to sin. You're not dead in your trespasses anymore. You are not characterized as a son of disobedience anymore. You're not a child, a child of wrath by nature anymore. You have been adopted by Father God through the blood of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you. He is transforming us. He's transformed us from the inside out. So now instead of us being sinful people who sometimes do good things, he's working in us to flip that around. And he's making us holy people that sometimes do sinful things. So when Jesus says, be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven, this is what he's talking about. Amen. Praise God. I hope y'all got excited about that like I did. Praise God. All right. So. Woo. Yeah. Miss Lisa, shout out. Woo. Hey, thank you for starting that clap up, Miss Lisa. I appreciate that. Praise God. It's always about to clap up. Amen. So with that, now I do want to. All right. I'm looking at the time. Boom. I'm doing all right. Praise God a little bit. Um. So with that, I did have noticed that the other couple parts that we had is Jesus talked about. He says, hey, I'm going to give you joy. No one will be able to take it away. So I hope you see by being born again how, how that can give you a joy that no one will be able to take away. Because he's, he's in us. He's transforming us from the inside out. That is eternal work that starts now and is consummated in heaven when he returns. Amen. 
So praise God. The world didn't give it to you. The world can't take it away. All right. Praise God. So there's that part. But then notice Jesus then goes on to say, he says, you know what? You'll be able to ask the Father in my name and you will be able to have what you will. And notice we even saw a little bit later on in John chapter 16 that he says, you'll be able to ask the Father in my name what you will. He will give it to you. Praise God. And guess what? You won't need me to ask the Father on your behalf because the Father will love you because you love me. Well, why will the Father love us? Because we're adopted as his children now. And so we're his sons also. Praise God. So, so we see that. So here's, so this gets into, all right, so Tim, why, why am I, why am I going to need to pray? All right, praise God. I'm glad you asked me that, Jack. Thank you for asking me why we need to pray. I appreciate that. And why Jesus is even saying that at this point as an encouragement to his disciples. All right, so, all right, some have to, some all right, some do something different tonight. All right, praise God. Oh, gosh. Oh, and I didn't hurt myself. Praise God. All right. All right. So this, so Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I love Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, because everybody usually stops at 8 and 9, and that's awesome. And I love verse 10 because it still, it still gets into the heart of what Jesus is talking about and why we're even in tribulation, we'll have peace, and why the awesome privilege that we have of going to God in prayer. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 8, but so then we'll walk into verse 10. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works. Our works in and of ourselves cannot get us right with God. We've already went over that. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So notice that it says at the top of chapter 2, verse 1, what did it say? It says, hey, you are dead in your sins and trespasses that you walked in. And then once we get to verse 10, what does it say? Hey, now you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Amen. And that's a gift so that you don't boast. And guess what? Now that you're in Christ, he is working in you. You are his workmanship. So he's like an architect, right? The Bible says that God knows the beginning, the end from the beginning, right? So God is the master architect, the master builder. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, praise God. But he's the architect. So he says, John Bagley, I know the plans that I have for you. John Bagley, I've got a plan for your life. So you are in my hand and praise God, you are going to be my workmanship because I already know the beauty of what I want your life to look like and where I see it ending at. So praise God, now you're in me. And so now let's get to work. And so, the, and so now he has good works predestined for us to walk out as a part of the work that he's doing in our life. But it's not good works to get us right with God. These are good works because now through Jesus, we are right with God. And so because now we're right with him, the Holy Spirit is working in us. And the good works that we do are a result of his work in our lives. And because he's leading us and directing us in what those good works are. Does that make sense? All right. So Praise God. So I love this because it says we are his workmanship and so which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I, I wanted to come down to the floor because I know if you come in, if you've come in here long enough, you've um you've seen these little lines that we have like going around here. Like this legit is a track. 
And so I wanted to come down here on the floor because I, because I wanted to point out the track. So what did Jesus say? He said, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he said that the, 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 um, the gate is narrow and the way is hard. So, we, so to enter into eternal life, we got a narrow gate and a hard, and a hard way, a hard path, right? But notice that we also see where Jesus says right here that he has predestined good works that he's prepared beforehand for us to walk out. So, so I love this because, praise God, see the track here? And just, I just love this visual of this track because you've seen people run a race. And in a race, everybody is on the track and everybody has their own lane, right? So you run that race everybody's in their own lane. So praise God, we're, we all are on the track of God's narrow way to eternal life. But he has a specific lane that he has for each of us, that he's planned for each of us to walk in. Does that make sense? So praise God. That's, but this is the beauty. This is why we have church. For real, for real. Because I'm in my lane running my race. And sometimes you can be the most well-trained, well-equipped, well-prepared, whatever it is that you want to be. And sometimes you're going, oh, I, I, literally, I think I just hurt myself doing my stupid example. Praise God. That was bad. That's what happens when you start getting old and out of shape, Brother John. But, but sometimes you come up limp, right? Well, praise God, this is the body of Christ. So even though we're in, a, we're in our own lane running the race that God has set before us, it's not about me beating the next man or the next man beating me. It's about all of us being in our lane, walking the path that God has us to walk. And praise God, he puts us, he has put us together so that we're all in our lane. But if I come up limp, praise God, there's Miss Euphemia to help pick me up. And if TJ gets hurt and gets caught up, then praise God, I'm there to help pick him up. Right? And that's part of the good works that he's prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Right? So, so, it's, so, so it's not a Lone Ranger race. We all have our own lane. And he's called us to certain specific things. So there's things that Miss Diane, that God has for her, that only she can work. But that's what makes it the body of Christ. Because if it was all up to me, we'd only be able to get this little bit of what God wants to get done. But because we have Miss Diane and he's called her to be a prayer partner, boom. Well, I can be over here doing this while she's doing that. And she's, he's called Jesse to be at the House of Mercy. So boom, there's going on with that. And Miss Carrie Lynn's at the ranch. Boom, so there's going on with that. John Bagley's like the hardest working guy over at the thrift store. Boom, guy's working out. Right? So you see what's going on? That's the body of Christ is that, that all of us doing our part all together, God is able to accomplish more through all of us than what he could do with any one of us. And as long as we're all doing our part God is going to get the glory and accomplish more than, he could, more than we could ever dream or think of. And in the meantime, we're have, we have each other's back so that as you're running your race and I'm running my race, man, I see you're struggling. I can come alongside you and help you. If you see me struggling, you can come alongside me and help me, right? So when Jesus, so when Jesus tells us this benefit of, 
hey, you'll see me in a little while, but then you won't. Praise God, you'll be able to ask whatever it is that you want for the, to the Father in my name, and you'll have what you want. That's, that, that picture that I just laid out is what he's getting at. He is not talking about, praise God, I gotta, is this chair, can I pull this chair quick enough? I can't, bump it. He's not, Jesus is not talking about, I'm chilling on the couch. Hey, God, the Father, kick me some gray poop on. I need you to bless me because I'm really comfortable and I need to be really, really much more comfortable. God is not our genie. Because when he says, come to the Father in my name, we've already discerned that we have no merit in and of ourselves to where we are worthy in and of ourselves outside of Jesus to be anywhere near God's presence. So when we come to the Father in his name, we're coming in his merit, not ours. And so when we ask whatever we will, if we're asking in his name, in the name of Jesus, then praise God, our request, if it's in the name of Jesus, better be of the same type of character of who Jesus is. And it should be representative of what Jesus is about and his, his will. And if we come to God the Father and we ask him through Jesus for whatever we will as it pertains to, Lord, bless my, bless my brother that I know is not that I know is not saved. Lord, my sister is struggling. Could you please help strengthen her to keep enduring and running her race? Lord, I just, I just stumbled and fell. I need you to help pick me up. Those all sound like prayers that God is going to answer because that's his will. But Lord, just send me some more stuff so I can be more happy and more comfortable while I chill while the rest of the world goes to hell. That's not what he's talking about. Right. And so and so here's the other side of that. And this is the where when Jesus talks about it at the very end, he says, in this world, you'll have tribulation. But I I'll, I give you peace. Right. So I'm going to end on this little piece right here. But I feel like I need to say it because this is the other side of what we need prayer and why, why it's important that God has given us the privilege of being able to pray to the father. Because sometimes while I'm in my lane running my race. Y'all have seen it sometimes in real life, whether it's on purpose or inadvertently, sometimes cats cross into your lane and cut you off. And you're running and they cut you off, boom, now you just got hurt because they, they were wrong, right? Sometimes I go in the wrong lane and I cut somebody off and I hurt them, right? Sometimes I'm the one that's going and I stumble and fall, right? So praise God, sometimes there are going, sometimes we're running in our lane and there's people that aren't saved. We've already seen that, that unsaved people, maybe God is leading us as part of our lane to witness to somebody or share the gospel with people. And they, they persecute you, they try to tear you down, they slander their gospel. We've already seen that there's some people that love their darkness. So they're going to try to tear down the light. They're going to try to tear you down as much as they can because you, can, you convict them and they want to stay in their darkness. They love their sin. So they're going to try to get rid of you instead of turning. That stuff hurts when you get persecuted like that, right? And so, but that's, so that's, the, that's the awesomeness of the privilege that we have in prayer because sometimes when we get cut off, what do we got to do? We've got to be willing to forgive, 
And that's why Jesus in, in his model prayer that he modeled for the disciples, like he said, forgive as you have been forgiven. So Lord, there are times when I've had to pray, Lord, help me to forgive this person because I am mad. I am hurt and I am frustrated, but I need you to help me to forgive them because I can't do it on my own. But I know I need to because I know there's been times where I've cut other people off and I've wanted that grace of forgiveness. You know what I'm saying? And so we just, and so sometimes to be able to maintain the peace and to be able to maintain the unity, we've got to call on God's power. We have to have the power of the Father through prayer because in our flesh, sometimes we, we get it wrong and we, we're going to step on each other sometimes. And so we got to ask God to help us get our stuff together so that we can stay in our lane while also potentially being, a, being an instrument of grace to help them get back straight on their lane as well. Amen.